You're listening to On the Ear, an audiology podcast sponsored by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I'm your host, Dr. Dakota Sharp, AUDCCCA, audiologist, clinical professor, and lifelong learner. While I primarily work with pediatric cochlear implants and hearing aids, I am absolutely intrigued by the many areas of audiology and communication in general. This podcast aims to explore the science of hearing, balance, and communication with a variety of experts in hopes of equipping you to better serve your patients, colleagues, and students. So let's go. We are live and on the ear, brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Becoming an audiologist requires the mastery of a lot of information. Clinical knowledge, different kinds of technology, electrophysiology, balance, the list goes on. Now take all of that information and add in a mastery of business. This is the reality of a private practice owner. According to a 2016 survey from the American Academy of Audiology, approximately 10% of working audiologists describe themselves as owners or, you know, in an owning capacity. Owning a practice is no easy business, but today's guest is here to help us understand the process and make that dream achievable. Dr. Liz White received her Doctor of Audiology degree in 2005 from the University of Louisville School of Medicine. Prior to this, she graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in Communication Sciences and Disorders in 2000 from the University of Florida. In the past 15 years, she has worked in many facets of audiology, including the cochlear and osseointegrated implant industry, education, clinical, government. In addition, she is board certified by the American Board of Audiology. She is very much involved in her community. She's the vice president of the Ascension Catholic School Board and is the vice president of membership for the Florida Academy of Audiology. She's a member of the American Academy of Audiology and the Academy of Doctors of Audiology. Additionally, she's a new trustee, this is awesome, to the board of the American Academy of Audiology Foundation. Dr. White has achieved the status of scholar with the American Academy of Audiology since 2015. And Academy scholars are those who complete a total of 50 continuing education hours over a two-year period. That's awesome. She is on top of her game. Dr. White is a powerhouse for private practice leadership. She is a strong advocate for the profession of audiology, and we are so fortunate to have her join us for today's episode. Hey, Liz, how are you doing? Hey, Dakota, I'm great. That's a, that's a good intro. It made me smile a couple times. That was cool. <laughs> well, you have a lot to smile about. You've done a lot of uh, fantastic things in, you know, in a pretty short career so far. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. We have a lot to learn from you. And I, I just like, I kind of just want you to print out your resume and send it to me and I can kind of, you know, try to stay on some, like trying to hit some benchmarks here. <laughs> that's funny. Okay. So uh, you currently own a private practice. I do. Coming up on and two years. Coming up on two years. That's fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and I have a lot of questions about this because like a lot of other I, w- I would say most AUD programs at this point have at least a business class or something that, you know, mentions how private practice works. But I w- I would say that my, you know, program did not like have a lot of information on how this works. And I have to assume it takes a lot on your end of figuring it out as you go, or, you know, maybe you have a background in business. I'm not sure. So what led you to private practice after such a, you know, a career of so many different you know, uh, aspects of audiology? Yeah, good question. So um, had you asked me this question back in 2004, 2005, I would have said there's no way I'm ever going into private practice. Um, in my school at the University of Louisville, we did have a business class. Um, and interestingly, one of our actual professor, the, actually the professors in the School of Medicine audiology program actually owned their own private practice. So we were really 
kind of ingrained in that, and we were sure. all very involved as students. Um, but we had to work on a business plan back, I don't know, God, 17 years ago. And um, it was on a floppy disk. Like, that's how long ago it was. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so this is just a little side note. We... In 2007, here in Florida, um, Tropical Storm Faye came through, or some year, 2008, 2009, something. And my business plan, I know, was in my garage, and it got flooded. And I actually, like, looked at it, and I was like, I am never going to need this, and I threw it away. You know, 13 years later, or whatever, 11 years later, I went looking for that. I'm like, maybe I didn't throw it away. Maybe I could (laughs) find the floppy disk that it was on, Um, because that would have been a good starting point for a business plan, because that was definitely something that um, was a lot of, um, like, I was like, can someone just give me theirs, and I'll just kind of edit it for myself, but that didn't happen. Like, it was putting it together and reviewing it for months to make sure it was right. Um, Mm. I'm going to go back to your other question too. Like how did I get to private practice after doing all those other things? I'm actually so glad that I did all those other things because it taught me so much. I was in um, some really good situations for a job and some really not so great situations. And I learned the right way to do things and the wrong way to do things. Like there's no way that, right out of school, I felt like I was prepared to go into owning a, my own business and doing all the things that are in a private practice. So I'm glad to have had 14 years or whatever it was of other experiences that kind of showed me, no, I'm not going to be micromanaged. I'm not going to be treated with disrespect. I'm going to do things the way that are they're meant to be done and sure. go for it. Yeah, that's awesome. So what drew you to the idea of private practice? So I started tinkering with the idea um, just about four years ago. I was in a uh, a in a job that really was not working for me. And as soon as I started there, um, I was about a year into it at that point, by the way, um, I was like, this is not going to be where I'm ending my career. There is no way. And the sure. biggest thing there, and I think we'll probably touch on this later, was the, the, the disrespect and not recognizing the title of doctor. So that was like a huge cherry on top for my leaving there. But I actually spoke to one of my mentors from Louisville and um, he was like, Liz, you, (laughs) probably some bad words I shouldn't say, but he's like, you could do this. He's like, don't even doubt yourself. Just go ahead and just do it. You could be one of those big names in private practice because you have the drive behind you. And so from that day, Mm. I was like, this is what I'm doing. And I started kind of slowly researching and reading uh, books about business and private practice and talking to other private practitioners um, and then just decided just going to go for this. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you feel like, so besides that mentor who kind of gave you that, I feel like a lot of us need that someone to just reaffirm what we already know, you know, is true for ourselves. Do you feel like you had some like specific um, mentors or colleagues who were already in the private practice world no, who gave you some, some guidance? Point. At that point, I did not have really any other guidance from any other private practitioners. I did attend a conference. Um, I want to say it was 2017, late 2017, put on by Jill Caseworm. She's an audiologist mm-hmm. up in Michigan, private practice owner and a very successful practice owner. Yeah. And um, I went to a conference with on her, like where she put it on and it was it was amazing. And so I was like, this is, this is something that I could do, but, um, never really had anybody personally that I knew in town or anything that was kind of, a a mentor in that way. Gotcha. 
So starting out, I mean, I guess it was a lot of reading books about private practice. <laughs> reading and... books. And, you know, luckily those Facebook pages, all the audiology Facebook pages, um, sure. just talking to other people and yeah. learning from other people. I mean, it's, you don't know what you, I, I didn't know what I was doing. And I started very, very lean. I rented just a little tiny room in a psychologist office. I'm still there actually. Like I did not want to put out a lot of money. I didn't want to, I didn't know. I'm like, is this going to even work? Like you don't want to take yeah. out a huge loan and then you're, what am I going to do? And there's nowhere mm -hmm. else to, that I want to work in town anyway. So I'm going to make this work. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, so that's a great point. So it's when you've reached a point where you know what you want to do, but there aren't any other, you know, there's no places or opportunities for you to make that a reality. You kind of have to make it a reality on your own. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. yeah there's like nowhere else to be. So mm -hmm. doing my own thing is really, it's awesome. I love it. Yeah, that's amazing. What would you say was like your first step? Like what was the first <laughs> realistic step you took that was in the direction of, okay, I'm going to make this a reality? Um, I want to say it was, and I wish I thought about it earlier and I meant to look it up. I was really um, starting a business plan and it took, I was like, once I decided I was leaving that place where I was, I was like, okay, I don't work on Mondays. I think that was my day off. I was like, I'm going to, every Monday, I'm going to start working on my business plan and this is going to be done. Yeah, that didn't happen that uh, I knew for a year I was going to re resign from that job. And I did not start working on my business plan until the Monday after was my last day because you're just you don't have extra time yeah. to work on stuff like when you're actually employed somewhere else. So um, but the business plan and I gosh, I can't remember there's like business planning for dummies or something like that. It was just this app you could, a program you could buy and it walked you through all the steps. And of course, nothing is audiology related. There's of like course, you know, a podiatrist or there's a bakery or there's a, a shoe <laughs> store. So you kind of have to like, there's examples, but they don't really go along with audiology at all. Um, and I, I pulled that business plan together and I was actually pretty proud of it. I've sent it to a couple of other people now who were thinking about going out on their own. Sure. I'll so share. what are what are some of the so I remember we had to do it has to be the skeleton version of a business plan for the for the business class I took I can't imagine if I took that to a bank or somewhere anyone <laughs> would take me seriously so what do you what do you feel like are some of the when you when you can compare um you know the starting a business for dummy podiatrists or whatever compare that to what the reality was an, as an audiologist does anything stick out things that people uh, might not realize, you know, come into play no. as an audiologist that do <laughs> no, for other I think businesses. It's completely, everything was completely different. So different. I, I, I was like this, you know, maybe I don't even remember because that was now over two years ago. And with private practice, your memory gets really, really short because you're too busy all the time. Yeah. Um, I wish I could tell you exactly, but there's nothing that's actually ringing a bell that was really like, oh yeah, that's going to be the same in my business because it just, it wasn't. Sure. So it sounds like you were like totally self-funded out of the gate. No, I did. Um, so your options are, you know, if you're self-funded, great. I don't have that kind of extra cash laying around. Um, so <clears throat> when I started talking to other people, your options are to either go get a small business loan um, mm -hmm. or to go to a bank or you can go to one of the manufacturers. And just talking to other <clears throat> smaller pra practice owners, they were like, well, Banks don't know audiology. No one knows audiology. You know, of you talk course. to someone, you're an audiologist. They don't even know what that is. So banks yeah. certainly don't know audiology. So I actually went to my favorite manufacturer 
and asked for a loan and they were like, are you sure that's all you need? Like I didn't ask for very much because I knew I had a very (laughs) small rent to pay. I just wanted to get the equipment that was so important to me so I could provide Mm -hmm. best practices. And I, I didn't ask for very much and they were, I think they were like, okay, great. Yeah. We'll give her this girl money. She's not even asking for that much. So (laughs) And I'm like happy. Like I look at the statement. I'm like, woo, I'm doing much better than I was supposed to be doing paying this off too. So it's good. Perfect. So you would recommend that route? Well, so if I had to do it again, so there are, you know, unit commitments and percentage of market share stuff. Um, It's been, it's been fine. It's really been fine for me, but I would probably next time around, especially if I were to open a second practice or something, I would prefer to go to a small business. Now that I know you just know so much more and you meet so many more people. So I didn't know anybody in the beginning and I didn't know any of the, the stuff now, like because of, I guess because of COVID and because I'm, I'm a member of the chamber and things, I've met all these other professionals that are part of the small business administration. And I feel like they would be a very good guidance now, but back yeah. then, not so much. Yeah, that's a great point. I think a lot of it is, you know, confidence in the terminology and the lingo. Oh, and yeah. when you're getting into that world, when you're dipping your toes in, you have no idea what to say to get your point across. Like you said, they don't know what audiology is. So you have right. to really be able to communicate in their world. But yes, you've never yes, had any so exposure. I can do that better now, for sure. Yeah, that's really good insight. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Other first steps of getting started. I have to, you, it sounds like you are a natural born networker. You've mentioned, you know, people from all over who have been helpful or who you've contacted to help you through the process. Um, I know that's one of the things we talk about in the business class is the importance of networking. But I know, so we have a lot of listeners who are AUD students. And so I know at that time, it's hard to know, like, am I networking? Like, I'm just a student. I'm just trying to learn. Like, do I need to go to this thing and like get people's business cards? Like you just kind of have no, no. Uh, like long-term vision of what networking is. So how important was networking for you getting off the ground? And like, what does that look like for you practically? Yeah, I'm going to tell you. So I probably really never networked before I had to do this because I was working for the VA. You're not going to network. I um, worked at um, for Cochlear Americas. I didn't really need to network really there. Um, what else did I do? I worked as a school audiologist for a very short time. That was really not my thing. Um, mm-hmm. And then... Uh, I was in an ENT and a medical group and you don't think there's no reason you're being fed, you know, in those kind of situations, you're being fed patients because you don't have to go out there and tell everybody what you do. So when I, um, I really did not network until probably two years ago, um, uh, with other professionals in audiology. I, I talked to everybody. I love doing that. I love the networking (laughs) part there, which is killing me not going to real conferences because I don't, I can't zoom network. Like Mm -hmm. I, I need the in-person yeah, touchy feely stuff. But um, I, and that is probably a mistake I made back when I started. But again, you don't know what you don't know. I joined, well, I joined the chamber and I joined um, kind of like a referral marketing. What's their, what do they call themselves? A referral business type of um, networking group. So like okay. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. I, I send somebody to your business, you find somebody. And that just really didn't work for me in audio in, in our field. I mean, some people do have it work, but not where I am. Like, again, people sure. don't know what audiology is. I Then I was like, well, I'll join a women's only networking group and see how that is. That really hasn't been, I'll, go, I'll join this seniors. Not It's not, seniors don't attend. People who work with seniors that hasn't really been the most successful either. So I have um, kind of stopped my official networking, but I am the dork that will 
hand out earplugs to the guy mowing the grass at you know in an office building because he's not wearing hearing protection and i'm the one that's oh. like i'm i'm gonna like and my kids hate it i'm like i'm gonna roll the window down and throw some hearing protection in the in that car window because they're like, don't do that mom no don't do you're gonna embarrass us <laughs> i will tell anybody i've I love wearing my shirt that has my business on it because it brings up conversation. My, my kids are talking to people about audiology in, in a special way. I mean, every, so my networking has become very different. I just don't think I need to get out there and do all those groups because they really just weren't, they, they weren't working for me. Gotcha. Do you do any kind of like social media networking or anything like that? I mean, I guess we'll get into marketing in a little bit, but like, yeah, I do. In terms um, of making connections. I do. So I have a, a, I have a personal Facebook page. I have a professional Facebook page and a um, business Facebook page. And what I decided a couple, well, can't say a couple years ago, we'll say about a year ago is starting to use LinkedIn in a different, I never use LinkedIn. You know, I've had a LinkedIn profile, but like, I'm like, I wasn't looking for a job. I don't know why I need a LinkedIn, but I have met so many people and I actually decided I wanted to reach out to female nurse practitioners because I feel like women work for women and women want to support women. So I started reaching out to other females and side note for some of my marketing, there's an amazing audiologist by the name of Katie Armatoski and she provides a lot of my content for me. So gotcha. um, she's great. I pay her monthly. She gives me content for my Facebook page, for my LinkedIn page, for my Instagram, for uh, my blog. And it's good because it's just constant getting in people's faces. And I sure. think that's that has been really helpful. I've People are like, I have never even thought about hearing, especially people writing to me on LinkedIn. I have never even given a thought to my ears now, but now you like my posts are coming up and people are thinking, wow, and I've gotten referrals from it. So if it works, sure. it works. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. I, I love the idea of, you know, the way you're describing, like you're on the ground, handing out earplugs, like being, you know, something up, it's a, you're a person like you yes. own a business, but you were, <laughs> there's a, a really a face to the business that people can have a relationship with. Definitely. I think the face part is so important, um, you know, because I'm not this, you know, I'm a I'm a one man, one woman show. I am the only employee. So I do it all. I am the person who does the billing. I am the person who sees the patients. I'm the one who's working 24 hours a day because there's always something to do. I'm the one sure. that's cleaning the toilet. I, You know, I am doing all of the things. Um, eventually, I would love to hire someone. I'm, I'm getting closer and closer to that point. But um, mm-hmm. you, the, I want people to see the face behind the business for sure. Yeah, I actually hung up a picture of my family in my office because I, I you know, it's a whole like support small business thing. But I want people to know, like, I'm not made of millions. Like, I don't do this because it's fun. I do love audiology, but I also need to make a living like so people are like oh this is your family i'm like yeah they kind of have to eat too so (laughs) (laughs) yeah it it humanizes you it's great definitely um so to the to the idea of like kicking things off how how then like what did your early clientele look like where were they coming from how had they heard about you is that still the case or has that evolved over the last couple of years? So that's a great question. Um, I officially saw my first patient on January 7th of 2019. And it was a patient from an old practice who was like waiting for me and then a friend's mom. So like my first, and then like a couple old patients who had known 
where I was. I don't think at that point I was not allowed to do any solicitation. No, I had to wait a full year. So it was just people that were like, okay, I'm just going to kind of follow you and I'll email you every month or so to see if you've opened your practice yet. So like my first couple of weeks, it was like, okay, I'd see a patient on Monday and then maybe I'd see two patients on Thursday. It was a lot of like, wow, this was like, I thought people were going to be knocking on my door like immediately. <laughs> um, so I kind of, you know, you get a little scared. Sure. I tried, I, well, I do digital marketing. Well, I shouldn't say that. I didn't, hadn't done that yet. I, I tried some newspaper stuff and I, okay. I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing newspaper because the newspaper is like, well, you have to offer some kind of discount. And I don't do that because I don't want the people who are shopping around. Like you're going to come to me because you've read the reviews, you've had word of mouth referrals. There's not very many people that provide best practices and I mm-hmm. make a difference and I want people to know that I'm one of the people that's doing the right thing in this county. So sure. um, now it's a lot of word of mouth. I do advertise in a couple church bulletins, one that I'm a member of and then like some other ones that are associated with that. Um, my Google SEO has been pretty successful too, but I've, I, I'm not doing direct mail. I've never done direct mail. Okay. Um, I, I just, I do humanize things though. Like I write out my own birthday cards for my patients and I send out gotcha. Christmas cards and I, I am just like, I am, I'm, a, I'm very personable. And I think that is really, really helpful. Yeah. So at this point, do you feel, yeah, that's awesome. I, I, I think it's getting, it's becoming more and more rare for business owners to invest in those relationships. Oh, it's so um, important. And that's, that's where all of your referrals are. I mean, uh, probably the vast majority of any practices referrals come from word of mouth and having yeah. those relationships. And so. that's what I want to get to. Like, I want to get to completely word of mouth and I feel like it's, it's starting to happen. It's, it's, it's been pretty awesome the last few months, even through COVID. Yeah. Um, do you feel like at this point it's still, do you feel like you're seeing a lot of people coming in for more like digital sources versus print versus word of mouth? What do you think? So I'm going to guess it's probably 75 digital, 25. Well, I can't say that word of mouth. Word of mouth is probably like 60 and then digital is probably 30 and then 10% is word of mouth right now. Gotcha. Cool. Well, These are things like I should track. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's, yeah, I should track. Yeah, you want to know what's working you do for you. Know. Yeah, and I, like I do. I I ask every person while they're in front of me. Well, how did you find me? Like I don't like my. I don't really have somebody answering my phones. I kind of have like a part time. I have a virtual receptionist, which is amazing. They schedule my appointments. I don't oh, even know these people. I've never they're, heard of that. Oh, it's so fantastic. They're not perfect, but I don't have to answer my phone anymore because I do not like answering the phone. Plus, now I'm too busy. Like back when I started on January 7th, the phone would ring. I'd be like, oh, I, I, I like, like to get you in. But now it's like, okay, I don't have time to talk on the phone. Plus, when patients call me, they want to talk to me. And I don't have 45 minutes to have a conversation yeah. all the time because there's just so much other stuff to do. Sure. Um, yeah. So I ask them personally while they're in front of me, well, how did you find me? And it's, it's, it kind of, it's a good conversation point too. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's so awesome. I've literally never heard of a virtual receptionist, but it makes a lot of sense in yeah. a world where so much can be done online like that. It's like, you know, it, it makes, makes a lot of sense. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it's great. And there's an app for it too. And they send me an email and they take a message and they schedule appointments too. So oh, it's, awesome. it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've talked a little bit about marketing, but I'm curious, do you have any, it sounded, it sounds like, um, 
maybe the newspaper might be an example. But were there are there any like pitfalls or things you ran into that you wish you were now looking back, you're like, that wasn't even worth putting the time or the money or effort into? Yeah. So the newspaper was definitely one of those things for me. Like I just, it just was not, I, I would say, you know, I spent a lot of money and maybe I got two calls from it. Just not, not worth it for anything like that. I, I have some huge retail hearing aid stores, if you will, like basically in my backyard. Um, okay. almost I could, if I look out my back and if I had a really good arm, I could maybe throw a football at a big, huge retail chain. And these places run four page full ads in the newspaper weekly. So sure. I'm never going to compete with them. And that's not really the kind of people that I want to compete with anyway, because those people that are doing that, they're out to like nickel and dime and yeah. bait and switch and they're not providing best practices. So, um, the whole newspaper thing is just not my gig. Um, what other pitfalls, probably some of just the networking things. I spent a lot of time going to meetings and back in the beginning, it was fine. I had a lot of time, Sure. but I would say probably, probably last September time frame. I made a list and it was like, what is important in for me right now? And I, you know, had these little, little post-it notes and I was moving things around and the things mm. that just weren't working and a lot of the networking things. Another thing that really wasn't working is I thought, okay, my husband works in the home healthcare world. I'm going to get into all these skilled nursing facilities and I'm going to, so I would go to two of them once a month and I would just sit there. Like nobody would come into the physician's office and come see me. And I was like, all right, I'm packing up my portable, packing up all my stuff. I'm sitting here for four hours. I've driven a half hour to get there. Like it was a waste of my time. And so I did that for about six months and I said, this is not, this is not. And plus like, I can't provide my best practices in that kind of facility. Like it's just not traveling with my real ear. I can't really do the testing that I would want to do. And Mm -hmm. so I said, I'll do these like on a one-off type of situation if people need be, but I can't go sit somewhere because I am now I'm putting patients that want to see me in my actual office. I'm putting them off another week or so. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's really great insight. I'm really glad you shared that. I think those are definitely some rabbit holes people could, you know, spend a lot of time and effort on and then, you know, not, not really see anything come of it. So it's, it's great that you're able to share that. Yeah. And I know it works for some people. Um, I have an audiologist friend who's in Chicago area and she's very successful in some of these places, but it just has not really worked out for me. And I just had to figure out what was important and let some things go. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. It's definitely going to depend on the region, but I, I think, yeah, that it's really good insight. Lord, um, it's tough. So, yeah. So <laughs> with the, with you mentioning, you know, providing best practices, trying to have a space where you can build these relationships, things like that. Um, when you were first starting out, like what were some of your priorities in terms of a space and equipment? Um, what did you know from the get go? Okay. These are going to be my priorities as a practice in terms of what I want to provide. That's a great question. So I knew like the first thing I researched probably before that business plan program, which is still killing me that I can't remember the name of that. Um, <laughs> I searched what real ear system I wanted because I had used real ear most of my career until the job previous to my private practice. And they would not purchase it because they just didn't, they didn't know. They didn't even, they they just didn't even really care about audiology enough. Yeah. And so my first thing I 
uh, researched was a real air system. And those are really expensive. And so me trying to be lean and green and open this practice on a, on a tight budget, I went with one that is, it's amazing. And it was a lot less of a cost than some of the ones that you might see like in, in university clinics and at the VA and stuff, but that was fantastic. Sure. And then I also knew I was like, well, I'm going to be renting a tiny little room. It ended up that I got two tiny little rooms, so that was good. But I was like, <laughs> I can't get a huge booth, like, and plus booths are so expensive. Mm-hmm. So I went with a, um, it's called a whisper room, and it's been a perfect segue just right now until I grow and I'll get a real booth. And I actually have two real booths now in storage because um, people didn't want them anymore, and I was like, well, I'll take them. So they're yeah. just sitting in storage for when I need them. Yeah. Um, so I trying to just keep things like less expensive. And then, um, my audiometer and my tympanometer and my portable, um, I got those from a smaller audiology company as well, which I spent like probably a third of what most people do. And it's, everything is, it's, it works fine. Like I was a learning curve for me because I was always used to using the brand that everybody knows, but I was like, I can't afford that brand right now. If I pay that, then what am I going to do? So I went with the lesser known brand and the customer support has been amazing because it's a smaller company. So life has been really, really good with that. Wow. That's fantastic. Those are really great insights. I don't think people talk about that enough. You know, probably that, not. Well, because you think like, I'm just going to get what I'm used to. And I'm like, I yeah. can't get what I'm used to. <laughs> <laughs> when your hand is forced, I guess. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, so I'm assuming then that your practice primarily provides, you know, uh, audiologic care specifically, you know, with hearing aid interventions. I know you have a background in cochlear implants and Baja. So when you look to the future as, oh, yeah. you know, your space expands and your staff expands, um, what, what are you hoping to incorporate in the future? I cannot wait till this happens. Yeah, I want to. Um, so my current practice is fee for service. I am out of network with all insurance companies. So everything is private pay. Uh, but eventually, I do want to start a second business where I will be working with cochlear implants and probably more of like a like the cochlear provider network type of thing. Um, sure. We have no surgeons in our county. I'm sorry, I shouldn't. We do have surgeons who have done cochlear implants. Our hospitals don't allow it. So everybody has to go kind of out, at least an hour drive, have their surgeries, and then they could come back to me. So I cannot wait to get cochlear implants back under my belt. And I know a lot of um, patients are waiting for that too. And there's an audiologist in Orlando who's like, you need to get on it again because (laughs) you're sending me all these patients and I want to send them back to you. Mm Mm-hmm. That's great. So, um, so what does that look like in terms of next steps? So of do you time. think you'll, yeah. Yeah. So that's a good question. So I am like busting at the seams right now with the little space that I'm renting. Um, mm-hmm. if you look under my desk, you'd be, I'm embarrassed actually, because there, I have so much, so little room that I have like so much stuff stuffed under my desk. Um, so I'm starting to look for new spaces. Um, I don't know the time frame on that yet. I, I have some I have some things I'm thinking about. I'd love to have a second location as well, which then would okay. require, you know, another provider. I will soon be offering auditory processing testing and possibly okay. the therapy with it too. So that is I'm very, very excited about that because I was diagnosed with an auditory processing disorder earlier this year. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to like do the therapy on myself. And I want to, I I have friends who I'm pretty sure have auditory processing. So I have like this whole list of guinea pigs that are like waiting for me to get going with it. Wow. Um, 
Yeah, so it sounds like you are. It's it's probably coming soon then. If you if you're already, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I already ordered the all the. Um, I've already ordered the auditory processing stuff, so that's that's just back ordered right now. So that will be coming, and yeah, so things are things are uh, moving in the right direction, which is very very exciting. Very cool. I'm yeah. I'm excited for you. Thank you. Um, do you feel so? I, something I'm really interested in is. And I, even though when I was, you know, in school, one of my placements was in a private practice with that audiologist. Um, I feel like I didn't get to see enough of his extra duties that weren't oh. seeing patients. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So what is the day like for you? Like it's Monday morning, you get up, you're ready to go, probably at, a, at an outrageously early time, knowing your schedule and with your family and everything. So yeah. what does a day look like for you as a practice owner when it comes to clinical versus administrative stuff? Oh my gosh. So uh, that's something else I've learned as well. So, you know, when you're first open, you are just like raring to go and you're like, yeah, I'll take you at 12 o'clock. Yeah. I'll just take two minutes to eat my lunch and you know you just you're you're desperate in the beginning but I have gotten a lot smarter I now um you never stop thinking about work never ever ever um sidebar real quick um a a friend of mine who's an orthodontist here um, who I went to high school with he when I told him my plans back in 2016 he's like I think it's a great idea just so you know you're never going to work harder and I was like okay fine like I'm ready to work harder mm-hmm. yeah that was he he was not lying I actually <laughs> I texted him last month and I said hey I think about you every day because that was that like that is so true and he said well I hope you realize that, but that you're also seeing the benefits of working for yourself. And that mm. is 100%. Like, like I said, it never ends, but, um, it's, it's, it's amazing. So like my day Mondays, I'm really, I got smart Mondays always start at 9am for with an hour of admin. So I can catch up on anything from the week before, um, mm-hmm. any, like, you know, messages that came in over the weekend. And then I, started taking my own lunch from 12 to one every day, which was smart too. Now I might only take two minutes to eat, but the rest of that 58 minutes is admin or I've been scheduling a lot of meetings via um, zoom or whatever webinars during the 12 o'clock lunch hour too, just to get that stuff out of the way and not take up actual office patient time. Um, um, I bring my computer home probably 80% of the time and do extra work at night because there's just, there's so much like this month in particular, I've attended three conferences and you know, you like people give ideas and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I should be doing that too. So I, and we are, we are learning slowly that you can't do everything. Like you just cannot do everything. You have to just take it slow, you know, bring it on at the right time. Um, can't be jealous like but you just you want to help in so many ways and you want to do everything that you can but it also is just you can't do it all and me being the only person I definitely cannot do it all yeah I'm kind of trying to come to terms with that I just read this book called do less but I'm really struggling with that because I don't know how much less I'm doing sure um so would you say so on a day where you start seeing patients is it like you're seeing them from a certain number of hours in the day and then you have time. And then like when you're in that admin time, like what are you doing? Like, are you, you know, writing notes? Or are you like marketing? Like what is that time spent on? 
everything. So you're paying your bills, <laughs> you're paying your bills, you're writing yeah. notes, you're doing all your, like, I'll sit down um, probably Saturday morning and I'll knock out all of my Facebook posts for November. Oh, so I'll, wow. I schedule them all. Um, it takes, I've learned it. It takes me about 90 minutes to just bam, get it done. Um, but everything takes time. Um, so yeah, you're just doing your, yeah, you're, you're just doing so much. You're going into QuickBooks and you're making sure like everything is adding up the way that it should be. Um, like I said, I don't take insurance, which that is a blessing because that would be, there's really no time for that. Like, cause every single sure. insurance claim that goes through is pretty much a fight. Even I just, yeah. I just decided the other day I took, um, I, I build patients didn't pay me. I was like, I'm just going to try this. We'll blue we'll, uh, through your blue cross blue shield federal. And it's been a month and I hadn't received the money yet. So I had someone in my office call who's kind of part-time and she was like, Oh, they said you didn't submit everything, but then she went through it with them and they, I've submitted everything and I don't have time. She was on the phone for 45 minutes just to yeah. prove to them that we submitted everything. There for is, one, you know, for, for one, request. for yeah. one little patient. Yes. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, if I was a big, huge, like corporation, yeah, I would have some, I would probably work with, but as a small little practice, I just can't. Mm -hmm. And I can courtesy bill or the patient can do it themselves and I can walk them through it, but I just can't take that on. Sure. Too much. Yeah. That makes total sense. Yeah. I think a actually a lot of practices I think are kind of getting away from working with insurance because it's always a headache. Um, I don't yep. take any third parties. Like everything is just private pay. Yeah. Keeps it, keeps it simple. Keeps it simple. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so do you feel like, like, I know that that real ear is a real priority for you when it comes to seeing your patients. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm assuming you're primarily seeing adults. So yeah, I have a, like, I have a couple kids that I see like teens, okay. but mostly adults. Gotcha. Um, so a lot of your day is probably spent working with hearing aids, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, I'm. This is just like out of curiosity. The biggest thing, the biggest problem with hearing aids is the amount of stuff you have to have on hand to be able to fix things. Mm -hmm. And I know you're working with limited space. How do you make <laughs> <Yeah>. that work? <laughs> it's all under my desk. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's actually um, part of my growing is um, I'm, I'm hoping this is going to work out. I don't even want to talk about it because it might not work out, but I do, I don't keep everything. Like today I had somebody come in with a probably 10 year old. Oh no, no. Yeah. 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 10 year old Siemens BTE. And I'm like, Oh shoot. I don't even <laughs> know if I have this stuff. So I start like pulling out stuff and I ended up having it, but um, then I didn't have the software that I would connect to, even though that was weird. It should have connect, but whatever. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of stuff and that's like, <clears throat> that's part of my growing pains right now is like, I don't have enough for everything. Um, but you know, patients kind of understand. I had this woman who came to me with a Sonic Innovations. I haven't worked with Sonic Innovations since 2004, 2005. Mm. Um, so I was like, whoa. And I see a lot of transfer patients because they, through word of mouth, they're like, well, this girl got me hearing better. So why don't you go mm -hmm. see her? So I had to order all Sonic stuff, which is very similar to Oticon, by the way, but, um, good to know. Yeah. <laughs> they, all the cables came. I'm like, Oh, interesting. And the software <laughs> looked pretty similar too. Um, so yeah. So now I've got Sonic stuff that's hanging out. 
Yeah, you're just gonna. It's all just gonna keep accumulating. I it's guess it's all gonna keep <laughs> accumulating. Luckily, I keep little bins, so it's all sort of organized in little bins in the closet. Sure. Yeah. What would you say is one of the most um, like challenging administrative duties, or the one that you know is if you're gonna warn someone going into private practice about the administrative role, like one thing that you really want to make make sure they understand and have realistic expectations on. So I think it's a it's a it's a fault of a lot of us is. Um, we feel bad asking for money. Like, yeah. so my kind of part-time PCC is there. She works. I, so I rent space from a psychologist. And so there's a psychologist, there's me, a social worker and a licensed mental health counselor. So she kind of does work for all of us, but not me, the, me the least. So when she's there Monday, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, I've gotten a lot better. I'm like, just go up front. Marie will take care of you. But when she's not there on Thursdays, I feel awful for charging people. And I shouldn't. I should not. And so just in the past two weeks, I was like, you provided a service. You fixed these people and they were in bad shape before. You have to stop feeling bad. You're, mm. The orthodontist doesn't feel bad. The plumber doesn't feel bad. This guy doesn't feel bad. You just need to get paid for your service. And so that is, I think that's the hardest thing because we feel so bad asking for money, please, can you pay me? But it's so, I, so because I'm still not very good at it, my new plan for Thursdays when she's not there is I'll say, okay, well, I'll just have Marie invoice you next week. So I still don't have to deal with it. <laughs> so uh, if you can have somebody helping you at the front, that is certainly the best. And I can, can't wait till I can get to that in a more full-time status. But um, that is my, that's what I struggle with the most is asking people to pay me. Yeah. I, I totally get that. I, I have a very similar issue, and I think you bring up such a great point in that comparison. Um, I feel like for us, it's because our impact feels so personal, and yes. we can like literally see it on their face, the emotional impact. It's like, oh, I can't, you know what I mean? That this, yes. You know, and I, I, I totally see what you mean with yeah, that I, comparison. Yeah, I been... and. I've been like shooting myself in the foot because I have a separate line item for programming. I have a separate line item for Realier. And I'm like, okay, well, I just won't charge you for the programming. Although that's that's the biggest part. The Realier, yeah, I ran it. But the programming, I got to get in there and really fine tune it to match the Realier. So don't stop. So the past few, I would say the past like five inherited patients I got, um, I've been doing a lot better. And I'm kind of proud of myself. Yeah, that's awesome. That That's such a great, great insight for people who, if they're anything like me, they totally, that, that example that you just gave of the real year versus programming, I have literally done that. <laughs> You've done like, it, of I, course. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it's not um, cool. And I'm, yeah. I mean, I've been doing this for 15 years. It's not like I just graduated and I feel bad. Like, this is like, this is still happening all these years later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a great, great piece of advice. Um, So on the opposite end of that, though, owning a practice, what would you say is the most rewarding aspect? I get to control my schedule. That makes me so happy. So, um, you know, I come in, my day always starts at nine. I'm of course I'm there earlier. I drop my kids off at school, but you know, if I, my kids do many sports, so I end my day at three 30 if I need to. And I go to their, I coach sometimes for them or I go to their, um, practices. So that is one of the best things about it is that I 
kind of control what I want. And if I want to go see a patient on a Saturday morning because I want to, it's because I want to. It's not because some big boss told me you got to go see this patient because they're, they're, you know, they're having trouble. No, it's because I want to do it. And that also people, you know, it, it helps make a name for you too, because you do go out of your way pretty often in private practice. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a really great point. And it kind of leads me to wanting to talk a little bit about, um, you wrote an opinion editorial for audiology today that I guess it was in the online version for this month, I think, or last month. Um, I think it was in I think it was actually called the September, October article or (laughs) issue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was really powerful. And, uh, just to give like a brief synopsis, basically you were describing, I think a, a previous employer situation where they essentially the people in charge, not the patients, but the people in charge of the practice refused to acknowledge you by the title that you had earned of a doctor of audiology mm-hmm. and how it sounds like to me in our conversation, that was really a driving force for you to really want to make it out on your own and start your own practice. So I'm just curious, like, um, I know you're a big advocate for people going into private practice, but also just for, you know, the role of audiologist, the profession of audiology within the healthcare space, if there's anything you want to speak to. There. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This topic gets me like oh, crazy. Um, yeah. So I joined a big group um, 10 years after I graduated. So I'd been using the title of Dr. White for 10 years and a year into working there, I was getting tired of the secretaries calling me Liz. Like I'd introduce myself to the patient as Dr. White and I'd go up and say, okay, hey, can you schedule him to come back in a week? Yeah, sure, Liz. When do you want to see him? Uh, Yeah, no, I am Dr. White. He calls me Dr. White. And uh, it was really like a year into that, I was like, this is enough. So my colleague and I wrote a letter or wrote an email to um, the front desk. The It was in an ENT kind of um, specialty group thing in a big corporate medicine world and um, wrote it sure. to the, the nurses and the front desk. And um, it got forwarded from them to our office manager and then to legal and legal came back and said, you cannot use your title. Only the medical doctors and the doctors of osteopathy can use the title of doctor because it will confuse mm. the patients. And um, that date was December 4th, 2016 when they told me that. Um, I was livid. Like, I think smoke came out of my eyeballs because you just, I mean, that was terrible. I just, I couldn't believe it. And actually six months prior to that was when I decided I was going into private practice. So that was just really the impetus. Like I've got to get out of this place. Like, so, so, so terrible. I had patients writing on my behalf to like, please let her go by Dr. White. It makes sense. She has this education. I hired a lawyer and the lawyer said, they're a private company. You could go by, they could tell you tomorrow that you need to start going by Joe and you're going to go by Joe. And I was like, like, hell, I'm going to go by Joe. (laughs) So so I, I, so they told me, this is what you need to do. You need to say, hi, I'm Liz White. I have my doctorate in audiology. And let me tell you what that means. And I was like, wow. yeah, that, there's no time to tell patients that in a 30-minute micromanaged appointment. Mm-hmm. So um, that was that was big. I, um, but the problem was I could not, although I wanted to go out in private practice, it took me another, so that was December 16. I did not resign from there until April of 2018 because we had just sold a house and we hadn't found a new house to buy. And you can't really take out a loan without having some kind of collateral. Yeah, And uh, we didn't have collateral. So every day for 15 months, 
yeah, 15. Well, no, it was more longer than that. It was 18 months. I had to go into that place that I hated so much. Mm -hmm. And I still called myself Dr. White because I wasn't introducing myself in front of anybody anyway. Like I always waited till I got into my office with them because they can't hear Mm -hmm. anyway. So I still use Dr. White until the day I left. And then interestingly, the, um, audiologist, the new grad who replaced me, she was like, do you mind me asking why you're leaving? And I was like, oh, I'm an open book. You can ask me anything. And so I told her some of my reasons. And I said, this was one of them. She goes, oh, they changed that rule when I applied three months ago. I was like, oh, that's very interesting. So when I went and turned my badge in, um, I said that to the office manager. She goes, oh, yeah, they're still trying to figure that out. And I was like, even if they didn't want me to, I was, I was, I was, I wasn't the kind of person who just takes no lightly there. Um, I, I didn't, they weren't going to do things. I was working with broken audiology equipment. They wouldn't get real ear. Like I wasn't that, like, I wasn't the one who, I wasn't just working for a paycheck. Like I wanted to make a difference, but they really didn't yeah. care. So, sure. yeah. Wow. I'm so sorry you had that experience, but I'm really glad that, you know, you've reached this point and I don't, maybe you wouldn't have had the fire to get here and be able to serve so many people if it hadn't been for something it, like that. You know, that. that's probably true. And unfortunately I shared that article um, on different Facebook pages and, and, and emails to my patients. And I have heard back from so many people that this has happened to them. And it's not just in our field, it's in mm-hmm. education. A friend of mine said she has her PhD in education and she was applying for something and they told her, leave your PhD off. Um, wow. no <laughs> way. Like that's not even going to happen. No way. Mm. Yeah. So it's been, um, it's a good story. And I, I want, I want people coming after me or people who are still in the same position. Like you don't have to stand for that. You can go find something where you're going to have respect. Yeah. Wow. I, patients, I so appreciate it. Oh yeah, sure. My patients will say, like, cause I shared that with them and they're like, well, can I still call you Liz? I'm like, yes, that's not the point of this. Like the <laughs> point of this is like, we're friends now. Like a lot of my patients become my friends and I'd love to see them out. But the point of this is like, just know that there is a title and, and like, let's acknowledge it at least. Yeah. I was basically great. like the girl in the back. Like, did she test your hearing or was she um, sweeping the floors? Who knows? Sure. Sure. Yeah. And you've, you've worked, audiologists in general have just worked too hard to just let that, you know, slip too by. Too hard. To so yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, for those of you listening, if you want to read this entry, um, it's called Call Me Doctor Opinion Editorial. You can search Call Me Doctor Opinion Editorial by Liz White. Um, it's available for free from the American Academy of Audiology. Um, I've just got a couple, we're kind of coming up on the end of our time here. I've got a couple more questions. Um, this first one, I am just like, I just want to know, I haven't talked to any private practice owners in the midst of this pandemic. Oh yeah. And I, I know it has to have had some impacts like far reaching, but I'm just curious, like what have you, where, where have you seen yourself become more flexible and where have you, you know, realized you had to trim some things to make it work? I'm just curious, you know, what you've learned through this pandemic. Yeah. So that's interesting. So like middle of March, um, Florida was, you know, was, is a hotspot. So I made the decision to shut down my practice for six weeks, which is super tough. And I did probably see maybe six patients during those six weeks, all were curbside visits, you know, my hearing aids not working or something like it wasn't anybody. Um, so that was, that was tough. So I did add some curbside visits that I never have done before. And, you know, it's March and it's April and May and it's a million degrees in Florida and you're outside with a mask on and a face shield and gloves and people just want to talk to you. And you're like, that's great. But now I'm sweating profusely. This is (laughs) disgusting actually. Um, and then it was great when I came back, like 
most of my patients, they were ready to come back in. I had a few who were maybe immunocompromised and they weren't ready, but most patients were ready to come back in. And I have all these things. I've got UV lights and I'm spraying. And I was in the beginning, I was, I'd see a patient and then I would add a half hour block to clean. And then I'd see a patient and I'd add a half hour block to clean. And then eventually I had to let that go because I would be booking patients out two months if I had to do that every time. So sure. now it's just like a quicker cleaning, spraying, wiping down. I'm not doing as much as I was, but I think, I think the hysteria with it has a little bit calmed down and people are just, yeah. they're more aware they're, you know, they're washing their hands and all that. Um, but then, um, in June, I actually got COVID myself and my, my husband and my three kids did too. So wow. then I was shut down personally for three and a half more, three and a half, three more weeks back sure. in June. So that was really tough. Cause then it was like, no, nobody was coming into the, into the office. I wasn't going into the office. So yeah. zero money was coming in, which is a little bit hard. My husband couldn't work. We're all quarantined in the house. So, um, personally that was tough when you can't even make like, you know, $2 at the office. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, the, uh, the COVID has made things a little more interesting and it's a lot of conversations about it. Actually, I had a new patient come in today and she's, it was interesting because I talk about it all the time, how we can't see each other's lips and this is making it so much tougher. And then there's the research that says mask use actually degrades speech four to 12 decibels. This woman comes in and basically says all of that. And I was like, oh my gosh, you are so smart. This is what we're talking about. And she's like, I need help. I never realized how much I use people's lips for, for hearing people. So that was like, oh, it's come full circle. Because I actually predicted this back in March. I said, this is what's going to happen is that people are going to realize and you know it might have taken seven months to get here but i had my first patient that actually said it today so yeah that's that's amazing i don't know that we've had anyone who was self-aware but um our clinic has certainly seen a rise in people who are interested in hearing aids in the last three months yeah. i mean like a dramatic increase in people asking questions and people who had never had a hearing test before and it's gotta all be related you know oh for sure yeah yeah so that that was really great insight so now that we're coming up on the end here um I'm sure just you describing your experience, how, you know, how much more autonomy you have, how satisfied you are, how you get to see the impact and invest in relationships. Um, is there any like parting advice you would give to audiology students or recent grads or even like seasoned audiologists who are interested in taking that plunge? Um, what would you say to them? I'd say do it. I'd probably add a curse word in there too, because it is, <laughs> it, I, I, Though I sound like I'm stressed, and yes, I am, and yes, I've never worked harder, I actually am so much happier doing this than any other position I've ever had in the last 15 years. It It's so much more satisfying, and you get, you can, you know, if you want to spend two hours with the patient because their fitting is going to take that long, and you've got to pair all this stuff, and you you can do that. You control everything, and it, it mm. is just, it's, yeah, it's a crap ton of work, but it's, it's just so amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I love it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Um, yeah. I'm excited to hear, I'm excited to hear the feedback here and see what people say about, you know, I, I'm pretty sure you're going to sway some people in that direction oh, I'd where love they would have been intimidated. <laughs> no, they should do it. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, like I said, 15 years ago when I graduated, there was no way. Actually, after I had my first child, I was like, I think I'm going to get out of audiology. I'm going to go back to school and be a labor and delivery nurse. And then I was like, no, I'm not. I'm not going back to school ever. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so so for those those people who are interested and maybe want to ask you a few more questions, um, could they email you? Yeah, they can email me. My email is dr. white w h i t e at harbor h a r b o r city hearing dot com, or you can find me on Facebook as Dr. Liz White as well. Awesome. And are you guys? So I know you have a Facebook page. Where where other social medias can people find your your um your you know your professional page, your practice page? So on Facebook, on LinkedIn, you can find uh, Liz White there, or Harbor City Hearing Solutions on any of those, and on Instagram too. Um, and I, uh, where's my computer just shut off? My I just started a TikTok. I'm not really. Oh. <laughs> all all I've done is created the name. <laughs> I'm going to um, actually this girl, Katie Armatoski, I shouldn't say girl, this doctor of audiology in Wisconsin, she's going to be putting on a little class for us subscribers to her program for how to manage TikTok. So I'm very excited about it. It's probably like way out of my league. I'm a little too old for that, but I'm going <laughs> to try it. Hey, you've got kids that are probably, are they like, you know, in that TikTok they age? Are in that, they are, but they don't even yeah. have phones. So, because oh. <laughs> I'm mean like that. So maybe, I was going to say, maybe they could teach you something. They probably but maybe could. You'll have to teach them. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, cool. Thank you again so much for joining oh. me. This has been just a fantastic conversation. This was awesome. Um, I'm so happy that I, mean, I thought we weren't going to have enough to talk about. And look at us. We're like 55 minutes in. This is great. <laughs> awesome. All right. Give me just a second. I'm going to switch it over to questions. And that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening, subscribing, and rating. This podcast is part of an audio course offered for continuing education through Speech Therapy PD. Check out the website if you'd like to learn more about the CEU opportunities available for this episode, as well as archived episodes. Just head to speechtherapypd.com slash ear. That's speechtherapypd.com slash E-A-R.